G'day punters, welcome to this week's episode of uh, Bet With Brilliance, the review podcast for Australian Guineas Day at Flemington and then Shipping Norton Stakes Day was at uh, Randwick on Saturday, a couple of massive talking points to come out of those days and, and with me again is Jared Fish, the Sydney analyst for Brilliance Racing. Fish, how you doing mate? Yeah, good Jack, uh, I'm stoked to be here again mate and um, yeah, what a weekend it was. Couple of cracking races, and um, I reckon I could watch that Chipping Norton about ten times a day. Was that good? That was a serious race to watch. I mean, did back out very elegant in the end. As I said to you actually just before the race started that I couldn't let her go around without having something on her, and I'm, I'm glad that I did. Uh, but even if you were just sitting there watching it as a as a fan of racing, that was an incredible finish. You just didn't know who was gonna was going to get there, and it was the queen in the end. Yeah, that's right. I think we'll be seeing that replay on uh, Sky Thoroughbred Central for a while. It was an absolute cracker of a race. And, um, yeah, there was plenty of other good races on the card as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we get into the race by race, my best bet of the weekend, well, one of was scratched at the gates, rocketing by, and Buffalo River went down in the blamey stakes over 1,600 metres uh, coming third. So I didn't have any luck. But how did you go in Sydney? Yeah, my best bet for the weekend in Sydney was um, uh, Great House in race eight there. And he loomed like he was going to win, to be honest. He did come down the outside and I thought he had it, but he just uh, tired late in the end. And um, but fortunately, my value bet was Liberty Sun in the last. And uh, yeah, he got the job done at uh, $16. So I was pretty stoked about that one. Yeah, that's definitely a way to end the day. You're, ne- you're never going to complain about that, are you? But we'll go to the first at Flemington, mate, um, was a thousand metre race for two-year-olds down the down the straight. Tycoon Hummer was the heavily backed favourite and and won the first there, narrowly beating Kalos, and they're going to be my turn to follow out of the first. Kalos more so than Tycoon Hummer, I think. Kalos was a little bit more up just behind the pace in the run and finishing really strongly. The sectionals were really good out of the race. And at the 600-metre mark, Tycoon Hummer was still ninth in what was a nine-horse field. So bringing up the tail, we know that in uh, from a punting perspective, when you're in the back half of that field and in a back marker, it's a, a low percentage play for your return on investment. So... Definitely a flashy win and a horse to follow, but I think the style that that Kalos won in was uh, uh, sorry ran second in sorry was a a much better performance and one that I'm definitely going to follow going forward. Uh, race two at, at Randwick Fish. What happened there? Yeah, so race two was the um, Air Skyline Stakes over the twelve hundred for Colton Geldings, which is a lead up race for the. Golden Slipper and um, hey, President took it out. Uh, he just had a really soft lead there. None of the none of the horses wanted to challenge him up front, and I think in the end that's what got the job done for him. Um, the pace wasn't really too too high, and um, I think the the run out of the race that I want to take forward is Alal. He was absolutely fantastic there, and he actually got bumped at the two hundred meter mark and almost lost his footing at the go again. And his section was leading up to that from the six hundred. Six to four was 11.07. 10.93 was four to the two right before he got bumped. 
and he ended up with 11-7-2 after getting bumped and going again. And Captain Volden, who finished in third, he really – he was the one who uh, ended up taking Hillel's uh, uh, run out of the way. And uh, he ran quite well as well. But I think Hillel was actually the race – the run of the whole meet. And um, I was hoping he'd get a start in the Golden Slipper with Tommy Berry, but I'm not sure. I think they might head to a size or over 1,400 now. Uh, he's about 30th in the list for – Golden Silver, so unfortunately, he probably needed to win that race. But yeah, I think Halal and Captain Von are the two to follow out of that race. Outstanding. Well, for race two at, at Flemington, and before I go any further, punters, we'll just let you know we'll go through some of the smaller events on the card separately and get into the big ones, uh, races five, six, and seven for both cards. We'll get into them at the, the end, the major talking points. But for race two at Flemington, I think my horse to follow in a big way is the number four, Sinter Win. In the run, he brought up the tail basically as soon as the gates opened. He did peak on his run by the looks maybe in the last 50 metres, but his work through the line was still exceptional to, to come second, get past Stars of Caram and, and Skymax there. I think he's one that you can definitely follow going forward. He has one at Flemington over, I believe it was 2,800 metres on Melbourne Cup Day. Um, and I'll just quickly try and double-check that. But but Cinder Wynn is the one to follow for me, for sure, out of that race. The the sprint that he put in late shows that more distance isn't going to face him and, and he'll eat up the turf there. Um, what did you have in, in race three, Fish? Race three in Sydney was the Sweet Embrace Stakes, which is the 1,200 metres for Phillies um, in that lead-up to the Golden Slipper. And... One of the slipper favourites, four moves ahead, um, ran like a champion. She took the lead under Nash and turned the corner in front. And he, he looked like he was um, pretty patient on her, like didn't get the whip out until pretty late. And she ended up just getting the job done over the top of very fast finishing She's All Class, who I'm not sure. She's probably looking for 1,400 now as well, I believe. I don't. She might go to the Golden Super, but I'm not sure. The interesting thing was... Four moves ahead, we actually won the race, but only had the fourth quickest last 600 in the race. So that was quite interesting. And she also went into that race under a bit of a um, – she had an elevated temperature and then missed a week and then knocked a knee around coming out of a float. So I believe she was just doing pool work up until Tuesday before she had a run. And John Sargent said that she was only 85% fit for that race. So, yeah, you definitely take her out of that and put her right in the golden super pitcher. Yeah, absolutely. And things are definitely heating up in Sydney in terms of the, the golden slipper picture. I think it might be, is it two or three weeks until that race fish? Yeah, there's two more weeks and then then the golden slipper, yeah. So there's another uh, another couple of um, warm-up races this weekend, which I'm looking forward to, but yeah, a couple of weeks away. Outstanding. Well, before I go into race three at, at Flemington, I will just clarify, punters, that race two at Flemington uh, was seen to win the horse to follow in the, the Roy Higgins stakes. Um, so race two was the Roy Higgins follow sin to win for me out of that one. Uh, race three was the group three uh, Shaftesbury Avenue handicap over 1,400 metres, the Morvada one. He won in a very impressive style. He did have the low weight to carry and, and it looked like he got away with murder a little bit getting the lead there. Two horses for me to follow. I thought Platoon finished that race incredibly well to get within two lengths of Morvada the work that he put in late down the middle of the track. And that was where you wanted to be at Flemington, but the work that he put in was immense. 
going forward to an all-star mile, you can definitely keep following the Herovian. After that race on Saturday, you might get some better odds about him in the all-star mile. He worked through his gears fairly well. He was held up a lot of the way down the straight. And once he got some some clear air along that rail, the work that he put in was definitely of a uh, more to his standard. And like I said, going forward to a, an all-star mile, you can definitely follow him. What did you have in, in race four there, Fish? Race four at um, Randwick was the Liverpool City Cup, which was 1,300 metre group three. And... Um, the punter's nightmare, Korea Dearest was racing. Um, he just has the worst racing style in the in the world, to be honest with you. He just he actually jumped okay and he was going quite well. He looked like he was in front of two horses, and then as soon as the horse went up near him, he just wanted to let him go and he got himself probably about oh, he was one length at the back there after about 500 meters, and then before the bend, I reckon he was 10 lengths off the pace. But then he's finished with the quickest last 600 of the day and the quickest last 200 of the day, he just missed. So, I mean, if going forward, you're definitely going to follow him. He's going to go further distance. They're talking about a Doncaster mile, which probably would suit, but in my opinion, I just I don't think you can have money on him just the way that he races. It's just that frustrating. Um, and then and then you got to think it over that stole it at a very big odds. I think he was just one of those ones that slipped under the radar. First start record was good. Distance, he was unbeaten. Loves a soft track. Glenn Boss on board. So when he went across the line in first, oh, I just couldn't believe it. And I will give a wrap to um, Nick Lloyd, our Queensland analyst for brilliance. He did have it online as a good each way play there. So he definitely found it. But um, yeah, Creed Dearest is probably the follower of that race for sure. Yeah, it is frustrating when you get horses with that race shape that they they tend to, and what you're talking about is a horse that tends to go back a bit and hit the line hard. Uh, it's definitely very frustrating and it always sucks you in, but it's always a low percentage play, which is is really annoying. He's 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 honestly one of the best horses to look at in the yard. He always looks fantastic. He's obviously one of the quickest horses in the in the country with his splits every race, but he just loves giving him a head start. And I think oh, they must have tried to work him out a little bit more and get him going forward, but nothing they do seems to work at the moment. So yeah, but yeah, definitely definitely still a star. Well, speaking of the coming stable, race four at Flemington was the World Horse Racing Handicapper Benchmark 90 over the, sorry, punters, 1,200 metres. That was taken out by Subadar uh, for Jamie Carr. Second was Street Icon and, and third was Laverod. This race it was quite funny watching Fish because I understand that you follow the racing show with the Noonan boys and, and I do as well. I was listening to them before Saturday and they said, if you've got, and I quote big balls, you can go and lay Subadar because they didn't think he was a chance. And he, he never really looked like he was going to be beaten in the run. Um, the two horses that, that I think you can really follow apart from Subadar is street icon hit the line really hard and labor rod. I spoke last week in the preview. I said, his start priory, didn't look like he really started the race very well. I think he was throwing his head around a little bit and whatnot. And he did exactly the same on Saturday. I'm not ready to jump off him. He didn't look like he quite settled in the start and and still ran a really strong race. So Subedar got up there, but I think you can definitely follow Street Icon and Labor Rod. We're going to skip ahead to race eight on the program's fish. 
Uh, what happened in, in race eight at, at Sydney before we get into the big ones? Yeah, race eight was my best bet on the day, which was Great House in the benchmark 88 2000 metre race. Um, the two favourites in the race were Great House and Skylab, and they, they both got themselves back and sat off the speed in, in, in last. Um, the tempo definitely didn't come out as fast as we expected, and Great House sort of looped around the outside of the field there on, on the bend and was gliding past the horses, looking like he was going to get over the line. And right at the end, I think a horse got pretty close to him with about 50 to go. And I think that may have um, stopped J-Mac using the whip in his right hand. He actually slowed up and, and he definitely tired late. Skylab didn't didn't really do too much. And then you look at Yonkers, who's third up at 2,000 metres, just got the perfect running transit and he was able to get over the line and top there. Yeah, so well, for for race eight at, at Flemington, I also saw my best bet. But he was supposed to go around, and he was scratched at the gates, rocketing by. And I'm sort of, in a sense, glad that he was because it was a bit of a a bit of a blowout for the punters with Caprizio. I believe it's Caprizio you pronounce it, uh, getting the win. And you could write your own ticket. It was forty six or fifty dollars. I'm looking at here. I'll we'll come back to to the likes of Caprizio winning this race. But the two horses that I want to follow, one is definitely Lord Olympus. He sat in behind the pace before getting a hole in the last sort of inside the last 200 metres and showed a really good turn of foot. So I think for him getting towards 1,200 or even 1,300 metres, you definitely won't see an issue there. Uh, the other one I want to follow is Bella Nipotina. She ran a super race getting inside a length of the winner. And I thought the Bopper travelled really well, uh, one that you had spoken about in the preview fish and maybe just tired a bit late um, and peaked on his run a bit bit early. So we had Caprizio winning there, but you can definitely follow uh, the three, the, uh, the other three in the, the top four, Bella Nipotina, Lord Olympus and the Bopper. Uh, we'll go to race nine, Fish, and get your thoughts on what happened in Sydney, and then we'll get into the three big ones for the weekend for each card. What happened in, in Sydney, mate? Yeah, race nine was a 1,200-metre benchmark 88, and um, it was my favourite race on the card because I tipped up on brilliance. I thought Liberty Sun would um, be able to pinch you with the lightweight of 52. Kathy O'Hara on, and I, I thought that he snuck into the race with a bit of a lightweight, and I knew that he was going to be in front around the corner. And the way that he races, he leads, and he's not not the typical leader where he leads and he tires. He leads, and he always has a bit of a kick, and definitely gives him something to chase, which is what he did on the day. And I was absolutely stoked that um, Kathy got him over the line. Um, so I definitely want to keep following the son. He just keeps on getting underestimated. The two two other horses to follow out of the race was um, Bound to Win. And uh, Zakat, they were both very strong late and Bound to Win nearly pinched it. I think I'm not 100% sure on it, but I think Bound to Win was first up. So, um, yeah, definitely want to follow him out of the race as well. What about the last in um, Flemington? I think you might have tipped the winner there. I'm going to give myself a, a, rassi- a, sorry, a massive wrap here, mate. I did tip the winner in, in Shayu. The, the market move for her was massive since they opened. I think uh, Wednesday and Thursday, she might have opened around $10. I think I tipped her around the the $5 mark and she's jumped a 380 favorite and, and gotten home for the punters, which 
Matt Hill so beautifully elaborated in the call. So I did tip her on top and she did get the chalky. She ran a super race. Everything sort of went to plan. She was going to, from that barrier, she was going to go towards the back of the field and peel out. And at the top of the straight, uh, Declan Bates was sitting really pretty. And I just thought, oh, she's won this. I, I watched the race live and with what was at stake, I thought, oh, well, he's just going to win it. Like, it's just going to happen. Watching the replay yesterday, I thought, geez, I should not have been so confident there because she's only really just run them down. The two horses that I think you can really follow coming out of this race is the horse that ran second, Need New Friends, and the 16, Grand Flora. Their horses I've both tipped in benchmark races on a Wednesday around, you know, Sandown and Caulfield and the likes. I thought they both put in massive runs and hit the line really well, especially Grand Flora down the outside. I think you can definitely follow those two mares. Um, so for me, race nine, uh, we had the – it was the Trek City Stakes for, for fillies and mares over 1,400. Shayu, you can definitely follow her. She has run massive first up, and I don't see any reason why she couldn't put in a good performance second up. Um, but follow Need New Friends and Grand Flora wherever they go. Um, I think they can definitely be putting in a big race next start. Now, we're going to go to the big ones, Fish. We'll start with race five in, in Sydney. What happened there, mate? That was the guy Walter Thoroughbred Stakes over 1,400, Group 2 for Mares. Um, it ended up, it proved, proved to be a bit of a tactical battle, to be honest. Um, Sweet Deal was pretty well backed on the day, and she took off and went really, really fast. And then um, Ice Bath ended up jumping too good for her own, own good as she ended up three wide. And then you had Bams on fire who also took the lead. And as as it as it turned out, the leaders were pretty cooked in the end. Ice Bath, Ice Bath was the only one out of those three that hung on and, and she had the worst three wide the whole trip. So I'm still keen to follow Ice Bath, but they basically set it up in the end for back markers. And we spoke about Tony Gollan a few times on our Brilliance Racing chat and he's been on fire. He's sprang Chrome down. He won Chrome at the Magic Millions at 40 bucks. Crane comes down to Sydney and wins this. The race was four lengths quicker than the average, which that, that definitely goes to show you what happened to those leaders there. But, yeah, I was I think Ice Bath's still a bit of a follow. Ice Bath was one of my better bets on the program as well. So, but, yeah, I'm not sure about following any out of the race, to be honest. I think they, they bashed themselves around a bit up front. So maybe Ice Bath and then I guess you just stick on the Tony Golan bus. Yeah, well, it's and a good point. that race. Sorry. How did you see that race, mate? Well, I I said on the, the preview pod, um, I did have Tricky Gal as my on top of for the race. Um, I said that start before I thought she'd put in a massive run and and she she did it again on Saturday. But then I said, just keep an eye on Crone because Golan does a really good job of placing his horses and this is case in point. Crone won the, the Phillies and Mares race on Magic Millions Day, beating, and the name of the horse is escaping me, which is going to annoy me now because I tipped it on top. It was a uh, Godolphin horse, but she's come out and won the race. What you say about the leaders really beating themselves up and making life difficult was that Bams on Fire's dropped out to finish last, and she is 
from following the the uh, Melbourne horses, Bams on Fire going up north, I said she'd put in a massive race, um, which she wasn't able to do, unfortunately. Now, I can't find um, a theory. That's who it was. Uh, Crone beat a theory down at the Gold Coast. Um, but, yeah, Bams on Fire and those leaders really beat themselves up, and she's the case in point that they really dropped out. For race five at Flemington, mate, we had the the Bob Hoisted handicap over a thousand meters, and she's turning into a real girlfriend of mine now. Uh, Fabagino got the win there, and I tipped her on top for brilliance. From the wider gate, she was able to just run the race however she wanted to. Uh, Michael Poy let her get into her work and and showed that she was just too good for this field. Indian Pacific got really close there in the end, and I thought Hummer Hummer really flashed into the picture late. How did um, how did you see that race, mate? Yeah, exactly the same, mate. Um, like we spoke about Lightning Stakes Day, Fabagino's run was um, quite good that day. Um, so the form definitely held up there, and she got over the top here in a fast finish. And I was pretty happy with the way that Indian Pacific ran, and that takes his record to seven starts over a thousand meters for five wins, one second, one third. So he might stay around Flemington and try and pinch a few of those straight line races down there, which would be quite interesting. And then, yeah, Hummer Hummer was the big flushing one late. Um, she was first up and had a massive return. So I'm definitely got her down to follow, follow in the near future. Yeah. And for mine, looking at Fabagino, she just always runs a big race. I don't think, She's one where you can look at this racing goal. She's come out of a group one where she was fourth to to the likes of Nature Strip and then younger horses in, it was September run and swaps that. And now she's had to come out again in a, a handicap race, carry the big weight and has only won by 0.2 of a length. But she still ran that in under 57 and a half seconds. It was a 57.34. There's no reason yeah. why if she runs over a thousand meters again down the straight, she can't win. For me, no, she, she's absolutely proven to be one of the most consistent horses in the country. So, yeah, she put up a great battle on Lightning Stakes Day and then took the choppy zone on the weekend. So, yeah, she's um very consistent. Well, um, this, move on. Now. Oh, do you want to keep going? I was just about to say that this is the the second most exciting point for me to talk about uh, on the pod, mate. What happened in race six? at Randwick. Yeah, Chipping Norton Stakes. It was one of the greatest races I've seen in a long time. Just oh, it was such a flashing finishing. There was one length between five horses there. Um, obviously, we talk about very elegant all day. She's now on seven group ones. She's got group ones over 1,400, 1,600, 2,000, 2,400. Just an unbelievable record. And um, yeah, I went through, I actually went through the numbers here and I find this absolutely crazy to believe, but very elegant and Colette have identical sectionals from the six to the two. 11.74 and 11.2, they both did. So they were literally running the exact same pace. And then very elegant got 0.8 of a second there right at the end and one by 0.2 of a length. Mm. So that's pretty much how close they were running and you can't, you can't split those two. Then you had Avelius flushing down the outside who he had the quickest um, 600 of the race, 34.3, which is very quick in a... 1,600-metre race like that. Colding had a different sort of style he led and turned the corner, and he had a very quick finish as well. But uh, she's just a star, very elegant. She loves the battle. I think you can put those five horses on the top of the straight 
nine races out of ten and put them in the finish that close, she'll be the one that gets over the top because she's just that tough. And um, I think they're now following the same prep as last year, so she's going to head to the Ramford and the Queen Elizabeth, and you could you can honestly see her taking taking them both out, to be honest. What about yeah. what about you? Head yeah. the the biggest. I think the the biggest uh, the biggest rap you can give for this top five, they went six point three lengths above the all average benchmark to the six hundred meters, and then came home five point two. They were nearly twelve lengths quicker than the benchmark for the whole race, and they've put up they've put up massive numbers. The five of them, to for me to say that, and I was quite disappointed with Colding's performance that he weakened late. To say that's a really brutal. Uh, review of him because he's still run massive. He's run within a length of arguably one of the best stays that we've got or middle distance horses that we've got in the country and very elegant. And then even Avilius is a multiple group one winner. Um, to, to say that I thought that Colding was quite disappointing, it, it can show that I'm either just a bit of a harsh judge or it just shows how good, very elegant and, and Colette were, even Avilius. Yeah, well, the crazy thing is if you can watch that race over 10 times and if you talk about those five horses, you can barely split them. You might have a little bit, you might leave Colding out now third up and the other horses weren't as fit. But then you throw Funstar into that pitcher who was in that finish as well. And Master of Wines last 600 was very, very quick. So looking at the field, honestly, you can probably follow 75% of the whole field going forward and you, you couldn't even, you can't split them to be honest. It's, it was that good of a race and such a good finish. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So very elegant and collect going forward there too that you can definitely follow, I guess, in my opinion. It'll be interesting to see where Avilius pops up next start, Fish, because his last prep down in Melbourne, I think he was on the way, he went was on the way to a Melbourne Cup. Um, he didn't win and people write him off and said he was no good anymore, needs to go to the paddock, he's done, he's dusted, he's come out and done this. Where he lobs in his next start, um, you've really got to take notice of him and you, you can't write him off anymore because last prep, even though he didn't win, he was putting in – he couldn't have run much quicker. You look at the numbers. He could not have run much quicker at all. And I don't think he could have done much better on Saturday. I just don't. I, I don't think he's a better horse than Very Elegant. I thought he was incredibly brave to, to get with – within half a length of it, um, I think you can definitely follow him. Yeah, yeah. And the other interesting thing about Avilius is, I think that was the first time that Nashville Realis jumped on board and rode him. And that might be the key there. He's such a strong, such a strong jockey, Nash. And I think he rode him to perfection, just sort of let him wound up. He wound him up early, but slowly wound him up and let him finish home strong. So I think if he stays in Sydney, which I believe he will, um, Nash might stay aboard, I'd say, after a run like that. Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent point that you make, that the Nashville Wheeler is a stronger jockey and generally rides a very good leader, Nash does. But then, like you said, yeah, totally agree. Strong jockey booking might have brought out the best in, in Avilius and that might be a combo that we see going forward. Speaking of going forward, and this is going to hurt a bit because I did use the M-word fish and it has come back to bite me on the arse. Race six at Flemington, we've got the group two blamey stakes over 1,600 metres. Uh, Buffalo River did come did come third after what looked like he was 
I didn't think it in the run when I was watching it live, but was was definitely over racing. Uh, was won by Star of the Season and 50 stars I thought was huge to run second. He was ridden hard early by John Allen. I think you can follow him going to what I believe will be an Australian Cup. Um, but Buffalo River coming third there was was slightly disappointing. The punning figures for this is really interesting to look at because nearly eight leagues above the all-average benchmark to the 600 metres, that was the fastest run race early of the day, and then they've come home four and a half, uh, 4.7 lengths above the benchmark coming home where, where Star of the Seas has finished really fast and late. But when I was watching it, Fisher, this is how good Jamie Carr is. I didn't think that Buffalo River was over racing at all. I mean, it's clear that he is now. And I was looking at the sectionals and I just thought he's a, a horse that loves to get the lead and, and runs along at a, a good tempo early and he was carrying a low weight. I just thought, oh, well, like he's just got a low weight. He had a great run first up. He's obviously taken improvement out of that. And to be honest, I thought we were going to see him bolt in the way that Zoo Dancer did leading into the Australian Guineas, um, but he faded out. How did you see it, mate? Yeah, yeah. I had Buffalo River on top as well in that race, and I'm a bit funny. Whenever I back a leader, and I back a lot of leaders because I just like the way they race. I don't really watch the way they're racing, to be honest. The first 600 meters or the first 400 meters, I'm just looking at the numbers at the top, the sectionals. Yeah. And I was watching the numbers pop up, and I was like, oh no, no, slow down, slow down. So I knew I knew how fast he was going, and I think Jamie was trying to slow him down, but. I also think she might have just thought, oh, sometimes it's better off you just let the horse get into his rhythm and let him go. But, yeah, I think from a long way out, we all knew that she wasn't – oh, sorry, he wasn't going to be able to sustain the energy. The other thing that I thought might have hurt him was I didn't really see Irish Flame pushing forward with him at the start, and Irish Flame sort of made him work a bit hard right at the beginning. That might have been what wound him up to run a bit quicker. Um, yeah, and then Star of the Seasons booked a spot in the All-Star Mile now. Damien Lane did confirm after the race that he's going to stick with probably obviously, but um, yeah, start of the season to the mile. And you were right about 50 stars is on the seven day backup this weekend for um, the Australian Cup. So that's an interesting one because he ran like a, he ran very well there home. He nearly pinched it. Yeah. And looking, I mean, we'll look at that Australian Cup field um, on Thursday and, and do the preview for that. But off of that run, I'm going to be hard to find a reason to tip anything else on top. I thought he was absolutely massive. Um, but it's a, an excellent point that you make about Jamie. She said the same thing when she jumped off of Nature Strip and the Lightning, but she just let him do his own thing and it, it ended up working. And and the the that just didn't work on Saturday with, with Buffalo River. So I'm not sure what happens with him next start. If that's just an absolute gut buster for him and, and now he might be done for the prep. But, yeah, star of the seas going to an all-star mile. I'm not sure if I could follow him around Mooney Valley, which is where the, the race, I believe, is being held this year because he really needed that straight to, to wind up and hit the line hard. But 50 stars in an, in an Australian Cup is going to be likely a very good bet. Yeah, for sure. And then the sad news out of that race was uh, Mystic Journey. She's had to have a bone chip removed after the race and she's off for a spell now, but she'll come back in the spring and yeah, definitely wouldn't surprise us if she put up some good numbers come spring. Yeah, you do want to see it, but the fact that on, on Saturday she couldn't go on and, 
and beat that field, which you could definitely argue she's much better than them. I mean, she's won an all-star mile. She's a group one winner. It's very, now very concerning for her that she might be past her best and and looking to the towards the paddock and the, the next stage of her, her life. Um, but time will tell with that. Uh, we'll move on to uh, race seven made in Sydney. What happened up there? That was a surround stakes group one over 1,400 for Phillies. And um, uh, we were giving him a bit of a rap before for being a strong jockey, but I thought Nash Perilla had the best ride of the day on Forbidden Love there. Um, she was she jumped quite well and got in a very good position, but he, he just parked himself right behind Dame Giselle, who uh, was the favourite. And he even said in the post-race interview that when he came around the corner, he knew that Dame Giselle wasn't travelling too well, so he's sort of looked to find a spot and it opened up and... As soon as he asked for bidding love for something, she's just absolutely put him away with a 34 6 3 last 600 and won by a couple of lengths. So, yeah, I thought that was superb. I thought it was the ride of the day, like I said. Um, and then the other one I thought to follow out of the race, just by watching it, I thought Hungry Heart ran quite well. Um, she obviously had a terrible barrier to start with, so she was always going to have to do a lot of work. And um, yeah, going then I went through the numbers off the race and she did have the second quickest 600 those two horses were the only two that finished um below 35 seconds for that last 600 so and then you look at hungry house last 200 meters it was all the way out at 12 five so um same thing she tied late but she'll be third up next start and i still think she might have a win winning and maybe next time yeah well i mean punters will definitely be hoping so the, the starting price profile that she's got i mean she did start nine dollars on saturday but she does always get fairly well supported wherever she goes. It's interesting to see the three lengths, the, the fact that the Forbidden Love has gone on a one by three lengths. I mean, you look down the page and Montefilia was the top, and I think she was quite well supported. I mean, I certainly backed her late, has come, you know, five lengths behind Forbidden Love. I couldn't take a great deal out of this race, mate, but... The one question, and I'll ask you, what's the go with these three-year-old fillies? Like, you've got five lengths off of Forbidden Love. You've got Montefilia, then Hungry Heart was five and a half. Sorry, five and a half off. Dame Giselle was six lengths off. The Thermosphere was, but I think she'll look for more distance. Away game was almost seven lengths away. And then my girlfriend, La Mexicana, eight and a half. I don't think she enjoyed the, the Sydney way of going first up, which reiterates what you said last week in the, the preview about the first time going the other way. Have, yeah, these, um, have these they, three are proven, proven very hard to work out what's going on. Um, I'm not sure. To be honest with you, I just think Forbidden's Love Run that this day was just absolutely superb. Like this, The time she put up was sensational. And I know now that the I think it's the Freedom Camp, they're talking about trying to slip her into the Doncaster and she'll probably get 49 or 50 kilos if she gets into that race. And the numbers she put up at 1,400 in a race like that, which had a large field and um, quite a high tempo, you'd, you'd be sitting there going, oh, all interested about the odds and might have a little little double of that because the numbers are there. She's It was a pretty stunning win, but yeah, I know what you mean. There's a few of them that just look like they're going to run well and they don't. So yeah, I'm not sure what happened with La Mexicana. I did see the just before the jump, she she was getting looked at by the vet. So, um, yeah, I'm not too sure. 
Yeah, I've not seen a stewards report from from the race, but it's a good point that you make about Forbidden Lover. She snuck into a race like a Doncaster and gets a really low weight. Um, if you think back, uh, I believe it was a couple of years ago in a Doncaster, it was Natoya that won with 49 kilo. And it was just the fact that, that uh, I believe it was James Innes Jr. just sat there with a really low weight, knowing that he had a bit of horse under him to to go late. And he just had the last crack at him and, and it worked out well. Um, the way that the, the turn of foot that Forbidden Love appeared to show could be a, a rinse and repeat of that, mate. Yeah, yeah. Well, we all know that Doncasters are a very, very fast paced 1600 meter race. And Creed Dears is trying to get into the Doncaster as well, if you believe all reports. And those two horses would be in, in with light weights. I think Creed Dears has to win another race to get in there. But if those two snuck in there with a light weight, you'd be. You'd be absolutely looking for them down the outside lately, and they might be able to do the same thing that happened with Natoya a few years back. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Moving forward, mate, we'll talk about maybe the biggest race on the day, the Australian Guineas. This was over sixteen hundred meters for the three-year-olds. It was an absolute blowout for the punters because Luna Fox got the chockies. Uh, One hundred and thirty-nine fifty is what I'm looking at here to win. Just looking at the racing.com website cherry tortoni flashed home late to get in with half within half a length finishing second i was that was my on top of from from the brilliance racing preview and 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 the preview that we did last week on bet with brilliance tag a lower third embolism ran a really good fourth zoo dancer saw out the 1600 meters quite well in fifth and i thought del toro was massive running sixth on the day but Luna Fox just somehow managed to pinch this, and I don't think anyone expected her to. I mean, you probably could have gotten on the, the tights 300 to 1 for her. That's absolutely insane, isn't it? I actually, when we were, I was looking at this race earlier today, and I thought, I'm going to go looking for something here. I've got to go and find something on Luna Fox's form and just find something that could tell me that he, could, he had the ability to win that race. And you're probably not surprised. I didn't find absolutely anything that's shown that. He could win that race. His last start, he finished second last, I believe, and didn't have anything over the line in a fourteen hundred. The only thing that changed was they put blinkers on for this race, and I don't think that gives you enough. I mean, it, it might spark him up, but I don't think it gives you enough to steal a race like that at odds like that. Cherry Tortoni was absolutely huge from the back of your horse. I thought you might have pinched that there. I don't know how he didn't win it, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's Cherry Tortoni's. Uh, racing pattern is a get on and a get back and run on horse and I mean that's the nature of the beast but we'd seen well I, I personally had seen in the start prior that he did some really good work and it looked to be under some some fairly light or moderate riding by Billy Egan um, and he's shown at Flemington before that he can get back and run on and win it it was just unfortunate that and I, we're going to get into ride of the day and our top our um top performer of the day shortly but it was just unfortunate that mickey d had luna fox there and was able to get him over the line um so yeah that yeah that that did suck a bit because cherry tortoni if that if he'd he'd gotten up there i would have been very happy with the day but when you look at the when you look at him he's he's run he's settled uh 15th in the in the field in a 15 horse field at the 600 metres, and even at the 400 metres, he was still 14th. So he had, yeah, to, exactly. 
he had to make up a lot of ground and he certainly got the talent to do it. I reckon he could get to maybe 18 or even 2,000, 2000 metres, Cherry. Um, but we'll yeah, see what happens he, with, with him. He put up um, very huge numbers there late and horse I want to follow out of his embolism is going to be third up next run. Had a great run over 1,400 and then great run again at 1,600 there. So, And then obviously sad news again out of the race for me anyway. Been a big fan of Ole Kirk um, over his career and he didn't really show too much his preparation and I think he's off to stud now. So we won't be able to see him out on the track again anymore, which is a bit disappointing, but that's how it goes, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think I might have seen something over the weekend about how it's very tough for for a, a young horse and a, a young colt to, to win a, the likes of a Caulfield Guineas and come back and win an Australian Guineas. I don't think it's been done very often at all. Um, but he's definitely got a massive career ahead of him at at start, and and no doubt we'll see some some big yearling sales with with Ole Kirk as the sire there. So that's something to look forward to from a breeding side. I've got a question for you, Fish, and it is going to loop this race in here at Flemington in with race eight, where uh, the winner paid sort of 50 to one and the name's still coming up for me here, there. But then even I saw in a race at Sydney and I'm just scrolling for it now, sorry, punters, just looking for a couple of different bits and pieces. When you've got... Think it over, was it, big odds? Yeah, think it over, paid 50s. um, And then the name of this other horse is just loading now, sorry, punters. You had think it over at 50s. Luna Fox, I haven't looked at the actual the actual odds from the entire field, but must have been the rank outsider. And then in race eight, that English dash, uh, you could have had 50 to one or thereabouts. This name still isn't loading. Uh, Caprizio, sorry. You could have had 50 to one for Caprizio. When you see a big odds horse like that win a race, do you immediately throw that form in the bin? Because I sort of look at it and go, you know, if the likes of even Tagaloa and the, the Australian Guineas couldn't beat Luna Fox, who had no form coming into the race, is it a race that you can follow at all going forward? Yeah, definitely sorry, it's question marks, yeah, there. But I think, I think to be honest, it just does what I told you today. It makes me dig, dig into the form guide and just go, is this a, is this just an absolute training steal here or what's happened to you? I don't think you throw the form guide out the window, when, especially when, like, Cherry Tortoni's run down the outside. You can't can't disregard that form, but yeah, I know it's, it happens in some races, and you just sort of have a look at it and go, "How did that happen?" And like, I'm also one of them punters that I, when I have a look over it and see a horse like Luna Fox there come 14 out of 15 in the 1400 meter race, and it's going into a race like this, it's paying over 200. dollars I don't, don't, I'm not going to dive into it too far. So it's yeah, it's it's a, it's a funny one. It's very crazy for sure. Yeah, I mean, looking at the punting form from the Australian Guineas, they were six and a half lengths above the average benchmark to the 600 metres and then four lengths quicker than the benchmark home. Um, it's one of the highest rating races on the day. Was certainly got a very good rating on the day at least. Yeah, it's just something that I've been been mulling over since Saturday. I just sort of thought if, you know, if Tagaloa, who has gone to wait for age group one company, um, couldn't, couldn't beat a horse that had no form coming into it. Like, is this a race to follow at all? I mean, I guess it, 
definitely boils down to a personal thing. And for Luna Fox, I did the same thing. I thought, all right, let's go and try and make a case for Luna Fox for this race. And you look at the, the gear changes even for the horse. They threw the blinkers on and tongue tie on. That must have just been from Paul Pruska, just a, a Hail Mary. To, if I can get anything out of this horse, it's going to be with the blinkers. And maybe it is Maybe it is the training performance. He, maybe he knew that the horse was going to be better second up. I mean, he's won a VR size, uh, BRC size over 1,400 metres at, at, I believe it was Flemington. And, yeah, maybe he just got some, some fitness into him and got some work into him and threw a Hail Mary with the blinkers and the tongue tie and, and it's come off. Yeah, yeah. When I do my form, I'm, I'm more of a – I look at sectionals and I look at – obviously look at the numbers, but I watch a lot of replays. I like to do all my form and just look at the little things that I see and go, oh, that, that was something special, you know. But I went and watched that 1,400-meter race with Luna Fox and I saw absolutely nothing. Like, she looked like she was done at the – four, couldn't even run out the 1,400 and then goes to Australian Guineas and wins wins the 1,600-meter race. And, yeah, oh, it's one of them things that just gets you – it gets your mind boggling, but it's—I suppose—it keeps the sport exciting as well, doesn't it? Yeah, that's exactly right. And you saw all through social media on the Saturday afternoon, which is what you wanted to see when your horse has just run second. That people have had, you know, the odd few dollars here and there on the three hundred to one shot, and it's lobbed, and you've been beaten half a length, and one of the fastest finishes you've probably ever seen in a race. So that's just what you wanted to see, which is really good. But. Um, Moving forward, Fish, I'll ask you who you had as your ride of the day on Saturday, mate. Who are you giving that to? Well, ride of the day was Nashi on Forbidden Love. I just thought he was really patient. And, um, yeah, he was probably spotting the right horse, but uh, following the favourite. And then when it didn't sort of pan out the way he wanted it to, he just took his own took his own way and um, wound, her up, wound him up at the right time, ran her up at the right time, sorry. And, yeah, just thought that was a really good ride. And then um, by run of the day, horse-wise, was hello. Um, I just thought he was building into something really nice there before getting checked. And I would have loved to have seen what that last sectional popped up if he didn't didn't get knocked around a little bit there. But anyway, yeah, there might too. What about yourself, mate, ride and run of the day? Ride of the day, I've just sort of alerted to it. I'm definitely giving that one to Mickey D. I thought that I was thinking about it for a second and I thought, what goes through a, a jockey's head when he jumps on something that's sort of 300 to one? I mean, even uh, Mickey D said after the race off the top of my head, he said, oh, I didn't give him much of a chance, but he said, I just rode him as hard as I possibly could. I did two, I noticed a few things when I watched the race replay. He's put the horse in the first half of the field, so he's not, he's not made it so that the horse has to make up all these lengths like Cherry Tortoni did to have to go on and win the race. He put Luna Fox there in the run and put him up on the, on the pace and, and made sure he had clear air at the top of the straight. And I think he looked like the hardest working jockey on the back of a horse in that race. He was really riding his ass off to get everything that he could out of Luna Fox. And he's, he's won a, an Australian Guineas. So I'm giving it to, to Mickey D to, cause he, could easily have gotten on there and thought, you know, horse was, like you said, he hadn't showed a great deal first up. He's not really going to go and win this, is he? He could have sat there and just gone, oh, like I just sort of don't want to be out here for this. This isn't going to be fun at all. He's jumped on and gone, I'll just give it every possible. I'll do the best that I can. And 
at 140 to one or 300 to one on the as your, your best starting price. Luna Fox has lobbed and he's won won an Australian guinea. So Mickey D gets it for me. Um, for performance of the day, I'm giving it to Very Elegant. I thought she was massive in in victory. She just ran that race to perfection and the way that she stuck her head out in that last 50 metres, I thought she definitely just wanted to win that race more than more than Colette and, and Avelius and, and that's what it ended up being. That's all it needed to be was she just wanted it more and she, she got the win and, and so rightly deserved. I think she'll go forward to, I think you said a Ranbit and, and she might start $2 there. Who knows? I can't think of a horse that that I could put into a Rambit and it'd take her on. Yeah, she's gonna gonna go to the Rambit over two thousand and finish in the Queen Elizabeth twenty four hundred and probably gonna be up against that um, Great Britain horse. I think it is that day. It's gonna come over and Tommy Michael will, will ride him. Um, but yeah, oh, they've they've had a really good clash in the past before where Elegant was right next to him and they fought it out to the finish. So we could definitely be on for some exciting um, finishes coming up for sure. Yeah, mate, I totally agree. Well, we I certainly can't wait to to the likes of Adib coming in. And obviously, Aussie Tom's already here, Tom Markland, and, and had a ride on the weekend. So we've got a lot coming up in, in Sydney and then Melbourne as well. We've got I've got the Australia, Australia Cup next weekend and I sent you some likely fields for, for Super Saturday at Flemington and I'm going to be doing well to pick a few winners on Saturday, I think. Uh, what have you got coming up next weekend in Sydney, mate? Yeah, we've got another couple of good um, two-year-old races in the lead-up to the Golden Slipper. And, um, yeah, to be honest, we've got another cracking card. All nine races are good. So looking forward to talking through them with you on um, Thursday, Friday afternoon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, as always, punters will be back on the Thursday or will record it on, on Thursday and it'll be up Friday morning, the, the preview pod for, for next weekend's racing. Uh, as I always say, if you've got any feedback, definitely send it through to us because we certainly appreciate it and it's definitely taken on board. Um, I don't really have anything uh, to, to add. Fish, have you got anything there, mate? No, not really, mate. To be honest, I'm going to get off this podcast now and watch that Chipping Norton again one more time because it just gets <laughs> me excited. Yeah, <laughs> but, it um, is. No, yeah, cracking weekend of racing and um, pleasure chatting, you, chatting through with, with you again. Yeah, well, thank you for joining me, mate, and, and thank you to, to everyone out there listening to the review podcast for Brett with, Bet with Brilliance, Australia, uh, Australian Guineas Day at Flemington and and Chipping Norton Stakes Day at, at Ramwick. It was a massive weekend of racing and, and looking forward to the next. So join us on Friday for the preview pod. Uh, Fish will be here again with myself. And until then, thank you very much and, and happy punting. <laughs>